All right, welcome back to Cafe All Lit, where I don't ever follow my own advice for more than uh, about two or three episodes in a row, and I definitely don't follow a plan, but we are still on track with our plan. Still doing Hemingway. Um, This might be the most consecutive uh, episodes that I have stuck with a plan. Um, and it's, it's not a big number, but you know what? It's a big number to me. Um, so today we're doing the end of something and, um, before that we're going to go through chapter three, which is six, six little lines of text. Um, there's a footnote. It says, This glimpse of the Battle of Mons, which is in Belgium, on August 23rd, 1914, probably derives from the eyewitness account of Hemingway's friend, Captain Eric Dorman Smith, a British officer he met in Milan, Italy, in 1918. So, take that for what it's worth, and, um, uh, yeah. Um, uh, is that too loud? I'm, uh, messing around with the, with the volume. Um, that might work. Uh, we'll go with it. I think it'll be all right. Whatever. Um, yeah, I could cut that out, but I'm lazy, so you get to enjoy whatever that was. Um. Let's see. Chapter 3. We were in a garden at Mons. Young Buckley came in with his patrol from across the river. The first German I saw climbed up over the garden wall. We waited till he got one leg over and then potted him. He had so much equipment on and looked awfully surprised and fell down into the garden. Then three more came over further down the wall. We shot them. They all came just like that. You know, just... Classic Hemingway, talking about uh, just shooting some some Germans in, uh, in World War Two. Um, I have notes somewhere. That's not it. Let me see. There we go. So, yeah, as usual, I don't have a ton to say about this, um, but that being said, it's an interesting little, uh, matter of fact, um, picture. Again, these are more portraits I feel like than than stories there's there's not a ton of ton of arc involved in these in these little vignettes um they're just kind of like little little slices um this one's more of a, a slice I'd say than a painting um it just kind of gives you a, a view of sort of it's more of a his, history type of 
report than uh, anything. Extremely stylized in Hemingway's um, style, um, if you will. So, yeah, it's a uh, these vignettes were originally published all by themselves. I think I mentioned it, but I'm not entirely sure in the in the introduction um, episode to this series um, for for this collection. They were originally published. All these chapters were published um, just by themselves in a, in a very brief little uh, um, book, I guess, more like a booklet. Uh, so so short. Um, and I would argue one of the main points of, of that co- like vignette collection, uh, in our time, all lowercase is, um, was to kind of get Hemingway's writing style out into the world and kind of show, show people how he, how he wrote. Um, very few copies were published. It was, um, I don't remember. Let me see if I have it in the notes. No. Um, but I believe it was just like a small, small press um, in in Paris that uh, printed those. Um, again, too lazy to look it up. This is going to be a lazy night. Um, more on that um, in a minute. Um, but yeah. It was mostly, I believe, just to show his style, and then he, he uh, put them in. You know, Hemingway. He claims that there's a um, that they kind of hold the uh, the short story collection in our time capitalized together. You know, it's sort it's sort of true. They definitely tie the stories together. They're they're on theme with with the theme of the collection as a whole. So he's not, I wouldn't say he's completely wrong to say that, but you know, I mean, he might've just said that to get his way from his publisher. Um, it's, it's on brand for him. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's all I've got to say about, Chapter three. Um, um, yeah. So what I alluded to a minute ago, um, laziness, just general, uh, general unpreparedness. Um, I did not reread the story before I started recording. So this could be a catastrophe, but you'll join me along for the ride, and that's what's important. Um, yeah. Um, sometimes it's fun just to just to wing it, see what happens. Um, I suppose I could always ditch this recording and uh, start over. Um, I probably won't do that. And obviously, if you're listening to this, I didn't do that. Um. Because, you know, why be smart about it when you can have fun? Um, Stories called The End of Something, as you have probably gleaned from the title of this episode, 
Um, so we're just gonna we're gonna dive right in, uh, see what happens. Um, in the old days, Hortons Bay was a lumbering town. There's a footnote. It says the lumber mill at Horton Bay in Michigan was built in 1876, but closed soon after the turn of the century when the local timber was gone. Um, that could be important to give us um, a clue as to how old Nick is at this time, because this is another Nick story. Um, so he's still a, he's still a young lad. Um, maybe. Um... Maybe I should read on before I say anything else. <laughs> um, was a lumbering town. No one who lived in it was out of sound of the big saws in the mill by the lake. Then one year, there were no more logs to make lumber. The lumber schooners came into the bay and were loaded with the cut of the mill that stood stacked in the yard. All the piles of lumber were carried away. The big mill building had all its machinery that was removable taken out and hoisted on board one of the schooners by the men who had worked in the mill. The schooner moved out of the bay toward the open lake carrying the two great saws, the traveling carriage that hurled the logs against the revolving circular laws, and all the rollers, wheels, belts, and iron piled on a hull deep load of lumber. Its open hold covered with canvas and lashed tight, the sails of the schooner filled and it moved out into the open lake carrying with it everything that had made the mill a mill in Horton Bay a town. So let me read the next paragraph, then I'll come back. All right. The one-story bunkhouses, the eating house, the company store, the mill offices, and the big mill itself stood deserted in the acres of sawdust that covered the swampy meadow by the shore of the bay. Ten years later, there was nothing of the mill left except the broken white limestone of its foundation showing through the swampy second growth as Nick and Marjorie rode along the shore. They were trolling along the edge of the channel bank where the bottom dropped off suddenly from sandy shallows to 12 feet of dark water. They were trolling on their way to the point to set night lines for rainbow trout. Um, shoot. We can assume that Nick is in his teenage years at this point, I think. Should we assume? No. Are we going to? Absolutely. Um, join me for this ride, like I said. <laughs> um... I'm sure we could look up Nick Adams' birthday on the internet or, or uh, get it close enough um, where it doesn't matter. But I, I'm i assuming that Nick Adams, since he's, I think, seems to be based a lot off of Hemingway, that they're about the same age. Um, is that is that correct? Maybe, maybe not. Should I know this? Probably. Um, but like I said, we're going with it. Um so Nick is with a um, girl named Marjorie um, setting night lines for rainbow trout uh, so they can, I guess, come back in the morning and hopefully have fish to eat. Um, There's our old ruin, Nick, Marjorie said. Nick, rowing, looked at the white stone and the green trees. There it is, he said. Can you remember when it was a mill, Marjorie asked. I can just remember, Nick said. It seems more like a castle, Marjorie said. Nick said nothing. They rode on out of sight of the mill, following the shoreline. Then Nick cut across the bay. They aren't striking, he said. No, Marjorie said. She was intent on the rod all the time they trolled, even when she talked. She loved to fish. She loved to fish with Nick. Close beside the boat, a big trout broke the surface of the water. 
Nick pulled hard on one oar so the boat would turn and the bait spinning far behind would pass where the trout was feeding. As the trout's back came up out of the water, the minnows jumped wildly. They sprinkled the surface like a handful of shot thrown into the water. Another trout broke water, feeding on the other side of the boat. They're feeding, Marjorie said, but they won't strike, Nick said. He rode the boat around to troll past both the feeding fish, then headed it for the point headed it for the point. Marjorie did not reel in until the boat touched the shore. They pulled the boat up on the beach and Nick lifted out a pail of live perch. The perch swam in the water in the pail. Nick caught three of them with his hands and cut their heads off and skinned them while Marjorie chased with her hands in the bucket, finally caught a perch, cut its head off and skinned it. Nick looked at her fish. You don't want to take the ventral fin out, he said. It'll be all right for bait, but it's better with the ventral fin in. He hooked each of the skinned perch through the tail. There were two hooks attached to a leader on each rod. Then Marjorie rowed the boat out over the channel bank, holding the line in her teeth and looking toward Nick, who stood on the shore holding the rod and letting the line run out from the reel. That's about right, he called. Should I let it drop? Marjorie called back, holding the line in her hand. Sure, let it go. Marjorie dropped the line overboard and watched the baits go down through the water. She came in with the boat and ran the second line out the same way. Each time, Nick set a heavy slab of driftwood across the butt of the rod to hold it solid and propped it up at an angle with a small slab. He reeled in the slack line so the line ran taut out to where the bait rested on the sandy floor of the channel and set the click on the reel. When a trout feeding on the bottom took the bait, it would run with it, taking line out of the reel in a rush and making the reel sing with the click on. Hemingway liked to fish. Hemingway liked to talk about liking to fish. Can you tell? A lot of these details, I argue again and again. I've said it plenty of times already. I'm pretty sure that Hemingway does not put anything in a story that is not necessary. So this is probably important in some way or another to the story. Um, did he write this story just to talk about fishing? Maybe. <laughs> um, but let's continue before we make up our minds. Um, Marjorie rode up the point a little way so she would not disturb the line. She pulled hard on the oars and the boat went up, went way up the beach. Little waves came in with it. Marjorie stepped out of the boat and Nick pulled the boat high up the beach. What's the matter, Nick? Marjorie asked. I don't know, Nick said, getting wood for a fire. They made a fire with driftwood. Marjorie went to the boat and brought a blanket. The evening breeze blew the smoke toward the point, so Marjorie spread the blanket out between the fire and the lake. Marjorie sat on the blanket with her back to the fire and waited for Nick. He came over and sat down beside her on the blanket. In back of them was the close second-growth timber of the point, and in front was the bay with the mouth of Horton's Creek. It was not quite dark. The firelight went as far as the water. They could both see the two steel rods at an angle over the dark water. The fire glinted on the reels. Marjorie unpacked the basket of supper. I don't feel like eating, said Nick. Come on and eat, Nick. All right. They ate without talking and watched the two rods and the firelight in the water. So what we've got so far, and we've only got a little over a page left of the story. It's another another really short one. Um, 
we've got so far is if you go back to the previous page, um, we're starting to pick up on something here. Um, Marjorie was was super interested in in uh, in the old ruin, right? And uh, she's like, "There's our old ruin." Nick Nick kind of looks at it. He's like, "There it is." Um, can you remember when it was a mill? I can just remember. It seems more like a castle. Nick said nothing. Um, Nick also seems much more interested in the fishing than Marjorie. Um, and maybe he's not normally like this with her because just just a little little ways up and across on on the page here, we read not too long ago. Nick uh, Marjorie asks. Um, what's the matter, Nick? And he says, I don't know. Which is a, uh... What's the word? It's a, uh... It's a fairly usual response when something's wrong. But he didn't deny something was wrong, right? Um... And then he says he doesn't feel like eating. So something's on, on young Nick's mind here, right? Um says they ate without talking and watched the two rods and the firelight in the water. There's going to be a moon tonight, said Nick. He looked across the bay to the hills that were beginning to sharpen against the sky. Beyond the hills, he knew the moon was coming up. If you're talking about the weather, you probably don't have much to talk about. That's a classic... It's a classic sort of, uh, you know, how's the weather today? You know, oh, oh look, the, there's clouds in the sky. You know, this is a classic the kind of like a small talk thing that you say when you have nothing else to say. Um, which is another hint as to what we think is going on here. Um, so there's going to be a moon tonight, said Nick. I know it, Marjorie said happily. You know everything, Nick said. Oh, Nick, please cut it out. Please, please don't be that way. I can't help it, Nick said. You do. You know everything. That's the trouble. You know you do. Nick's not in a great mood. I don't believe. Marjorie did not say anything. I've taught you everything. You know you do. What don't you know anyway? Oh, shut up, Marjorie said. There comes the moon. They sat on the blanket without touching each other and watched the moon rise. You don't have to talk silly, Marjorie said. What's really the matter? I don't know. Of course you know. No, I don't. Go on and say it. Nick looked on at the moon coming up over the hills. It isn't fun anymore. He was afraid to look at Marjorie. Then he looked at her. She sat there with her back toward him. He looked at her back. It isn't fun anymore. Not any of it. She didn't say anything. He went on. I feel as though everything was gone to hell inside of me. I don't know, Marge. I don't know what to say. He looked on at her back. Isn't love any fun, Marjorie said. No, Nick said. Marjorie stood up. Nick sat there, his head in his hands. I'm going to take the boat, Marjorie called to him. You can walk back around the point. All right, Nick said. I'll push the boat off for you. You don't need to, she said. She was afloat in the boat on the water with the moonlight on it. Nick went back and lay down with his face in the blanket by the fire. He could hear Marjorie rowing on the water. He lay there for a long time. He lay there while he heard Bill come into the clearing, walking around through the woods. He felt Bill come up to the fire. Bill didn't touch him either. Did she go all right, Bill said. 
Yes, Nick said, lying his face on the blanket. Have a scene? No, there wasn't any scene. How do you feel? Oh, go away, Bill. Go away for a while. Bill selected a sandwich from the lunch basket and walked over to have a look at the rods. So, this is, at least on the surface, a sort of it's just a just a teenage teenage breakup story um it's the end of something this is not the first um end of something that we have seen um in indian camp we saw the end of a life, right? Um, we've seen the end of many lives in that introduction on the quiet Smyrna. Um, this almost seems like a, uh, a weird story to have in this collection. Um, a lot of the stories are about war, relating to war, about death, um, you know, relating to death. And then there's this, this story. Um, it's well written. It kind of really puts you in the place of it kind of puts you back in that place of um, young. Um, I don't necessarily want to say say love, but it puts you in that in that um, you know like when you're when you're young and you're dating someone. If it's really dating or if it's not, you're kind of like you kind of get bored, and you're like I don't really want to do this anymore. But you're, I mean, it's something that never gets easy. But um, uh, even like later in life, obviously, it's hard to tell someone that you don't, you know, don't love them anymore, don't want to be with anymore. Um, I think he kind of, Hemingway does kind of foreshadow the ending of it. So there, there is a little bit more to it because the story starts with the end of Horton's Bay sort of as a, as a real town. Um, so that kind of foreshadows foreshadows the ending of the relationship um, I guess, in, in a way. Um, so not only does that kind of give you a, 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 not only does that give you a sense of how old Nick might be at the time, which you could probably sort of figure out from um, the the nature of the relationship that he's in. Um, do, do, do. Lost my train of thought. Anyway, we're just going to continue on. You can laugh at me. 
Um, <laughs> I sh- I should stop doing these um, at two o'clock in the morning um, with my TV on in the background, even with the volume off. I look up for like two seconds and it just, <laughs> um, yeah. So foreshadowing, I could, you could argue, um, the comparison sort of, um, let's see. You also get this sense of, of, uh, restlessness. Um, I guess with Nick. As 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 a young man that he is, he kind of uh, he kind of doesn't want to um, feel complacent. He wants to keep uh... I just saw something. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking up some criticism of this as I go. You know, lazy day. Should have done this earlier, but you know, might be a uh, might be more fun this way. Might be really annoying this way, depending on what kind of a person you are. Um, but yeah, let me see. Let me look into this a little more. Um, and this is just good old Spark Notes we got up here. Sometimes Spark Notes can be good. Spark Notes do not need to replace your reading, right? Um, but they can absolutely enhance it. Um, they exist for a reason and used appropriately. They can, they can really, um, bring a new depth to your reading. Um, you don't necessarily want to stop there. Um, you want to, you want to go look at, um, more critical, um, things like papers, um, Essays, stuff like that. Um, articles. But, yeah. Um, so, you get some foreshadowing here that the... Um, when he, when uh, They're feeding, Marjorie said, but they won't strike, Nick said. Um, it's kind of... The, the, the fish... And, and the, the line in here um, says Nick is trying to tell her as gently as possible to fit that the fish are not interested in making that kind of commitment. So he's, he's intentionally setting her up for this in a way that as a teenage boy, he thinks she's going to understand and he thinks it's going to soften the blow. Obviously it's not. But, you know. I was a teenage boy once, right? You think you're, uh, you think you're, you're helping soften the blow, but you're really doing nothing but putting it off. Um, let's see. You can also kind of you can also see that Nick um it's still a breakup, right? He 
takes um it takes a little bit out of him doing it um he doesn't feel good about what he's done um so there is a a bit of ma- maturity to an extent with Nick at this point um maturity in relation to um, the teenager that he is not like a pure maturity um not a not a real maturity but he doesn't take pleasure in in um ending it right he uh he definitely feels for her he just doesn't want to commit and he's getting bored so he knows he has to end it and he um he does so as gently as he can um so I think one thing about this there's a lot of Nick Adams stories in in um in in our time. So not all of the stories are, but you, you get um you get you get Nick growing up in these stories. So you see him as a little kid, a slightly older kid, um, even though you don't see him much at all in, um, in the second story, you don't see in the doctor and the doctor's life. It's mostly about his father. Um, but you, you're getting to know Nick. Um, there's a lot about Nick here. So it's kind of cool. Um, to see, there's there's a bit of a bigger arc to this collection, um, in this in the Nick stories. You got you got a whole Nick Adams arc here, that kind of um, you can see him get older as as he goes, um, all the way up to the last story. Um, let's see. Honestly, this was a story I probably wouldn't have had a ton to say about anyway, even if I had um, not been lazy, right? Um, it probably would have been shorter, you know. <laughs> there would have been, it would have been more concise, more pointed, probably, um, less rambling, not so many pauses. Um, but yeah, we made it through it, and um, well, I made it through it. If you got here, you made it through it. Um, if you turned it off earlier, I don't blame you, but you're not going to know I don't blame you. So there's something with that. And uh, since I'm saying stupid things like that, I think it's time to end this episode. Um, if you stuck with me... Um, the next one will be better, right? We we hope. The next one is the three-day blow, I believe, um, which should be... Nope, nope. Yes. Yes. Um, which is a longer one for this collection. It's probably like nine, eight or nine pages instead of... Um, probably like nine pages instead of, you know, four or three 
so that is something. Um, I may or may not read that entire story. We'll have to see. Um, I guess as long as I can keep these episodes under an hour, I'll be fine. I'm aiming for closer to 30 minutes, but on some of the longer stories, an hour might work. Um, I'll have to see if it's going to be longer than that to read and go through the story Then I might, um, change things up and just do like sort of a more, uh, straight criticism type thing. Like I've done in the past instead of uh, a read and analyze, but, um, yeah, that's all I've got for now. Um, so until next time, keep on reading.